0: This week on A Lively Experiment, more mass shootings means more talk about gun control here in Rhode Island. And the city of Providence is one step closer to a potential solution for its pension problems, but with it come a lot of questions.
1: A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten
2: by... Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr. For over 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders.
0: I'm a proud supporter of this great program in Rhode Island PBS. Joining us on this week's panel, Bill Bartholomew, founder of the Bartholomew Town podcast. Ken Block, chairman of Watchdog RI. And Republican strategist, Lisa Pelosi. Welcome in, everybody. I'm Jim Hummel. We appreciate you spending part of your weekend with us. Another high-profile mass shooting in Oklahoma this week, following the killing of students at a Texas elementary school just last week, has refocused the gun control debate at the statehouse. And it has state officials seeking to try and reassure parents here that they are taking precautions in schools across Rhode Island. Governor McKee began the week with one of many press conferences on the subject. Here's some of what he had to say.
1: Our country continues to have serious problems with guns, and with gun violence, and it's up to us as elected officials and public officials both in Washington, D.C., and Rhode Island to do all we can to end it. As I said last week, it is time for the General Assembly to pass bills to limit high-capacity magazines and ban assault weapons. Send those, send those bills to my desk for signature. I'm ready to sign them. At the same time, we know that no one thing alone is going to end gun violence. So a, an argument that just said, well, that's not going to solve the problem, of course, it's not going to solve the problem. But it reduces the risk. It puts us in line with our boarding states, both Connecticut and Massachusetts.
0: So this was a press conference along with the Education Commissioner and the State Police uh, Colonel. We'll talk about the school aspect in a second. Ken, let me begin with you. Um, I know your feelings on this have evolved, I think, like a lot of us. Yeah. So talk about that.
2: Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know how many people in the country can watch the travel of what's happened with the increasing frequency of these mass shootings uh, oftentimes with what, uh, weapons that we call assault weapons, uh, the number of incidents is escalating, the number of deaths is escalating, uh, and the times scream out now to really do something about this and to make some fundamental changes. What we're doing in terms of the licensure and the requirements to obtain weapons, who can get them, what the requirements are to have them, uh, we are not preventing weapons of war from falling into the wrong hands, We need to do something and change something. And I think that the intransigence on the part of gun rights folks to do anything, uh, we're going to start to see that strategy backfire, I think, a bit, because the bulk of the country watches the bloodshed that we're experiencing, finds it galling and is demanding action. And without any compromise on the part of the gun rights folks, I think they're going to unhappily realize that they're going to see mandated on them some changes that they weren't willing to undertake on their own.
3: You know, my thoughts have kind of evolved too over time. I was working for Senator John Chafee 30 years ago, you might remember, when he proposed the um, ban of all handguns, the sale and possession of all handguns. And as a Republican, he was out there doing that. You know, as time gone by, you get to know people who use gun for sporting. So you kind of accept that there is a need for guns beyond to have law enforcement. But I agree with you, Ken. The, the, the gun rights folks have been too absolute that they, we can't do anything you know, more. You, know, you can't take our guns away. I would like to see the gun rights folks come to the table with some solutions. There has to be some common ground that we can reach. You know, when we look at what has happened recently in the past couple of weeks, why is it right that an 18-year-old can go in and buy an assault weapon as if it was a can of soda? in Texas, there was no waiting period for him. Same thing in Oklahoma, we saw too. The person went right in, cut the assault weapon, and used it to kill. So why can't there be a waiting period when it comes to an assault weapon? Not an absolute ban, that might not go through, but why not a longer waiting period to purchase an assault weapon?
4: Well, I completely agree with, with each of your takes there. And I think that you know we're in a moment now where it, 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 you have to come to the table no matter which side of the issue you are, uh, w- which side of this issue you stand come to the table and propose serious solutions. And yesterday there was a rally at the state house with some of the second amendment groups. And one of the themes that resonated was that they're taking our rights away, our constitutional rights. I think we have to look at the constitution as a living, breathing document and understand the times. And people need to, this moment is crazy where we're at right now. And I think a good faith argument from Some of the pro-gun people, which, by the way, includes some people on the left. There's been a renewed interest in in self-defense from people on the left in the wake of some of these shootings. But I think a good faith argument is background checks. It's uh, raising the age to purchase any weapon, and especially assault weapons, I say 25. And it's getting into a point where we can understand that weapons are a tool that require education. And it's not something that you should just stop by Dick's Sporting Goods or Walmart and pick up on a whim.
0: You know there's a, there's a bit of a shell game going on. I did uh, I filled in on WPRO on Tuesday. you can imagine it was you know the people were calling in or all uh, like uh, Second Amendment people. and I understand that it's all shifted to it almost seems like, okay, everybody got the memo. Let's talk about mental health. This is not a gun problem. This is a mental health problem. Well, if the 18-year-old in Texas and the guy who bought it three hours before he killed the guy, the doctor in Oklahoma, couldn't have gotten that or had a waiting period, then it doesn't really matter. The mental health and school safety is all good. It's interesting, though, I saw that Mitch McConnell, I think, is playing probably games, but says, okay, let's, let, let's see if we can have a little discussion and a bipartisan. I wonder if you think something's going to happen in the Senate? Is this the moment?
3: I think it might be because this year is an election year and I think that's you know heightening the awareness too or the action on people wanting to do something because people are going to go to the polls and we see that the Democrats again are trying to use this issue to get their voters to come to the polls and make sure that they're voting Democrats in but we have to remember here in Rhode Island this is not a Democrat Republican issue when it comes to guns because if you look at the makeup of the General Assembly, if it was purely Democrats are, are against guns, Republicans are for it, the Democrats are weighing the majority, those bills had passed through, you know, uh, flying.
0: Right. And they and they didn't for a while because Nick Mattiello was yeah. speaker. Ken, you posted a lot, and I, I learned a lot from your post. And without getting too far into the weeds, give us what you were talking about in terms of velocity on handguns versus a lot of the high high capacity magazine rifles.
2: Right. So one of the key differences between a, a handgun And and I call it an AR-style rifle, right? These are the the weapons that have been used in some of the recent mass mass murders. Um, A handgun has a limited velocity for the bullet that it fires. Your typical handgun shoots a bullet at about 1,300 feet per second. Uh, And it certainly does damage when it hits you. But it does a lot less damage when it hits you than a round that's fired from uh, an AR-style uh, rifle, which can fire their rounds at up to 4,000 feet per second. And what any ER doc will tell you is that when they're treating gunshot wounds, the damage done by a handgun bullet is dramatically lower than the damage that's done with a round fired from an AR-style rifle. You have a chance to survive so with a handgun. You have a if far better chance. If it does hit you in a major...
0: That, Place, right. If right. you get,
2: it, it, if you, it, you can kill anybody with, with a twenty-two if you hit them in the right spot. Right. But with an AR rifle, uh, almost regardless of where it hits you, it does tremendous damage. That's very challenging to repair.
0: What, what do you think is going to happen up at the state house? I know that's a crystal ball question, but what is your sense, having covered a lot of these things?
4: It really depends on the Senate president, right, who has, I believe, an A- rating from the NRA. And we've heard very little other than a, a kind of vanilla statement, joint statement from uh, leader, uh, House Speaker Shikarchi and President uh, Ruggiero. And I think th- the question becomes, at what point does it become a, a position that, that thwarts electability? to not take a stand right now on any of the five bills or all of the five bills that are proposed. It's going to come down to politics. But I think the pulse of the state right now, regardless of municipality or district, is in favor of doing something. And I I don't think that there's that many voices out of the 1,050,000 of us here in Rhode Island that actually agree that we should have the, the status quo of, whether it be open carry of long guns or magazine capacity or raising the the purchase age. I think just gut instinct is most people are in favor of these bills, um, particularly after the last few years. Well, there's
0: a scramble because this was basically it it went into the held for further study purgatory and got resurrected. Nobody was really expecting this to be an issue this late in the session.
3: And I, I don't know about you, but I've been hearing, too, that the General Assembly was going to adjourn by Father's Day, never mind the end of June, you know, mid-June, because of it being a Lots election. of money,
0: election year. Right. right.
3: So get the budget done and get out. So then the shooting happened, and all of a sudden we're hearing, oh, no, we've been talking about gun bills all session long, which I don't think we've been hearing at all. But, I, you know, there is this pressure right now, and what you said, Bill, I don't know in his, you know, challenger, if his challenger, Ruggiero's challenger, is out there on this issue or not. I haven't seen that.
4: Yeah, he is. Lenny Sio is, is I believe, his challenger, and, if, and, and they are going to quadruple down on this based on the outcome, I think, of these bills.
2: Did you want to say something? Yeah, I just, I think it's so important that we all consider the fact that in the United States we have a level of bloodshed due to uh, firearms wounds that far exceeds any other developed country by miles and miles and miles. So we have a problem here that we made ourselves with the culture that we have adopted in terms of Second Amendment and its interpretation, uh, the numbers of weapons that are out there right now, and the result of all of that is the carnage that we're collectively experiencing, And I don't think for a minute that the founders had this in mind. Uh, When the Second Amendment was passed, I think that most people who were supportive of it at the time, if they saw what it had led to now, they would reconsider what they had done back then because this is not how a civilized society should look.
0: Just briefly before we move on to the next topic, you've covered a lot of the school stuff, too. There's been protests, kids walking out. And, you know, Lisa, you and I were on uh, we were I was moderating that panel about Gen Z yes. and voting and what the young people now they're they're rising up and saying and I think the politicians beware. Uh, I don't know whether it's going to translate to votes on Election Day in the midterms. But, you know, it used to be, oh, kids, we're going to put it aside. There's a real concern that my generation didn't have, and maybe yours, that you could get shot if you go to school. It's hard right? to
4: imagine, right? Yeah. And I did grow up, in, and I was in school shortly after Columbine, but it, it seemed like a one-off incident, right? These, these kids, the Gen Z kids that you're hearing, these, are, these kids are getting emotional, and they're a generation that's so plugged in because of social media, because of access to the Internet, they can understand nuanced things like security flaws or a breakdown in a particular law. And they can speak out and organize against it in a way that, quite frankly, I don't think any other generation previously has going back to maybe when, you know, there were only 50,000 humans on Earth, right? Because they're able to communicate in that phone booth and take it to the general public. So, yeah. Wasn't that
0: always the rub is that, uh, you know, the young people talk a good game, but they don't show up election day. And it's really you got to concentrate on the older voters. I think that script is getting flipped a little bit.
2: Yeah. and, And it's a good thing right? Uh, we we still, enough people aren't engaged in the process that our elections aren't truly representative of the aggregate of us. So uh, more people getting involved, younger people getting involved, more people paying attention, understanding the issues prior to voting, all of it's good. And uh, Uh, in every way, we want more participation and not less.
0: That uh, forum we were at, it was Johnson & Wales uh, sponsored it, and we had John Delavope, who's written extensively at this. But I learned a lot at that forum. I was moderating it, but what a tremendous voting block uh, the the millennials and Gen Z are becoming. And
3: I've seen it. I've been in higher ed now for 15 years, and when I started 15 years ago to now... The, more, the students now are so much more politically active and more politically aware. And when you talk about growing up, I grew up when we were um, having to go underneath our um, desk at school because the Russians might bomb us. Nuclear you know, war, yeah. know yeah. But, you know, these students, you're talking about Columbine, you know, 1999, so many years ago. They've grown up with the potential that this could happen at their school and they want to be safe. And they are more politically active and motivated. And that's why we're seeing them coming out and doing these protests.
0: All right. If you live in Providence... Uh, You have an election coming up, not in September, not in November, but on June 7th, and this has been flown largely under the radar. Actually, if you live in Providence, maybe not, because there's a battle going on about bailing out the city's pension system, which is woefully underfunded, and how to go about that. Uh, Ken, I know you've posted a lot about this. This is really the last minute, because if they hadn't done something in the General Assembly this week, then, I mean, the, the election's Tuesday. So they had to print the ballot a while back. What does the ballot say?
2: So the ballot says very little. It basically says, in order to, I'm going to paraphrase here, but more or less, in order to save Providence, will you allow us to borrow half a billion dollars?
0: Yeah. yeah. it's a, So basically, it's, mortgage it.
2: But It is, I was going to make this my outrage, but maybe I'll change to something else since we're going to get into it now. The Providence wants to borrow half a billion dollars in the, uh, in the markets. Uh, the kind of bond that they would issue to do this is not a standard tax-free munici- municipal bond. It has to be a taxable municipal bond. What that means is the interest rate that the city is going to pay is going to be more expensive than it would be otherwise, and interest rates have gone way up than where they were a year and a half ago or so. So Providence is going to borrow at a really bad time. The money is going to cost them a lot more. What they're going to do with the money is they're going to invest it, and what they want is to make more money on the investment than they're spending on the interest they have to pay on the bond and which in this market, may in not, this market is maybe very, a year
0: it, ago or two years ago,
2: right? It's very possible the whole, their investment could go down 10%. <laughs> mm. So it's incredibly risky. It's incredibly stupid. Most financial professionals will tell you this is a terrible idea in good times, and it is a worse idea in bad times. And they're ramming it through. The General Assembly did not do their due diligence. They're not exercising fiscal restraint over the process. Their uh, election is being held off year. It's not being held in November. It's being held in June. Very few people will show up to vote. And so you're not going to get a representative response from the general public in terms of of, of approving this. And what's going to happen, and I feel very comfortable making this prediction, at the best case, they'll break even. And 20 years from now, they're going to be in the same spot they find themselves in now. They're just going to generationally push this problem, and they won't have made any fundamental changes to how the pension system works, which is how it got so messed up in the first place. All right, let's rack that tape. Ken and I are going to come in from the nursing home 20 years from now. They're
0: going (laughs) to wheel us in, and we're going to see whether that's correct. You're a Providence resident. Have you gotten any
4: literature, phone calls, what have you heard? I've gotten literature for sure, and, you know, I, I, I agree with Ken. It's one of those Six of one, half dozen of another scenarios. At least that's the argument that you're hearing from proponents of this. Um, that, you know, if, well, what are we going to do? The, the pension system's going to go belly up. COLA uh, is going to impact where we are in five, 10 years, no matter what. We're going to be in a, a dreadful situation. But, you know, I think as voters go out, the dozens of them that, that go to this special <laughs> election on Tuesday, right? Um, it's, it's exactly what Ken said. You know, my generation, I'd like to purchase a home potentially in Providence. And you have to start to ask questions, you know, about uh, where's the city going? Where, where will the city be in 5, 10, 15, 20 years? Um, what are your property taxes going to look like if this thing goes belly up? You look at Woonsocket where they attempted a smaller scale but a similar effort. And I think property taxes went up more than 20% as a result. This is something that Buddy Santi floated. The- 20 years ago I think right?
3: Yeah you know I mean the troubling thing here is I don't think this is sustainable. It's like taking out a credit card to pay off another credit card debt just to get you through for a number of years and why should the whole state of Rhode Island have to pay for the mismanagement of Providence over time and when we look back at the compounded cost of living adjustment uh, for the retirees that go back into place next year because they've been put on hold since Angel Tavares went to court on that. So they've been put on hold for 10 years. Now they start back up in January. So that gentleman who um, um, retired with a $59,000 pension is now getting $200,000 a year because of the and compound. And they're resuming
2: of... the COLA's, too. Right. So let's do some very quick math here. Uh, let's assume they, get the, the, they issue the loan at 5% interest, just because it's an easy number to do. Maybe it'll be a little bit less, hopefully. But if they issue, if they issue their bond at 5%, and the colas are going up 3%. That means that their stock market investing has to yield 8% to break even. Yeah. And that is not going to happen. Yeah, That's not going to happen.
0: Let's briefly, um, we've got about 10 minutes left. Uh, I want, do want to talk a little bit about the governor's race. Bill, you've been following this. You've seen some of the forums. Um, fewer than, I mean, September's right around the corner, and a lot of people are going to check out for the summer. At this snapshot, what are you looking at? We haven't had you
4: guys on since the Channel 12 poll came out. Overall thoughts about where the Democrats are? It's very interesting, right? Governor <coughs> McKee has his work cut out cut out for him. Uh, Nelly Gorbea, Secretary Gorbea, is doing a very good job of threading the needle of speaking to progressive concerns, but also speaking to the political class, understanding the plight of those who are facing the housing crisis, but also standing the notion of wanting to improve Rhode Island's business sector. So she's doing a great job of threading that needle. I think McKee has the advantage, obviously, of being the incumbent, and that will play in his favor. It'll be interesting to see how Helena Bonanno-Folk's numbers and and name recognition increases now that she's spending money. But the last forum, I thought it was very interesting that the two progressives, if you will, in the race, both Matt Brown of the Political Cooperative and Dr. Louis Daniel Munoz, were so well prepared and have such specific answers to specific yes or no questions that that let's call them one group, although they're kind of opposed to each other, that one group of, of ideolo- ideological vision um, it's going to be interesting to see how much pressure they can put on the front runners to get specific on certain things, whether it be something very specific like environmental racism or quadrupling down on housing challenges, the, the homelessness issues, whatever it may be. Uh, the progressive wing right now seems to have a lot more specifics.
0: As the only person who's run for governor on this set, what's your, uh, <laughs> through your eyes, and as
2: you know, the summer's a tough time, and then boom, the primaries here. So I'm surprised how slowly this whole thing has started, really. Uh, I think the candidates have really held their fire, and uh, I've been surprised that a uh, candidate like Folks, for example, took so long to get on the air, given that her name recognition w- was was clearly going to be low. And those commercials um, are good. Yeah, no, I they're excellent they commercials. Them, yeah. I, I think she's going to be formidable, there's no doubt about it. Um, you know, there's always this tension of specifics versus generalities. Uh, you'll have candidates, I mean, I was a candidate who loved specifics, and I think that it's important that you ha- can be as specific as possible. because you're putting yourself out there as a problem solver. You have to show that you can solve the problems. I have run against candidates who did everything in their power to be as nonspecific about everything that they could because they deemed that it was safer to do that. So, you know, that's the tension that goes on uh, in campaigns. And, uh, you know, voters often fall for the less specific, more packaged uh, responses than specifics. Uh, You know, it's just the nature of the thing, and... uh, When voters decide they're really going to demand answers, that's when you're going to start to see candidates responding, I think.
3: And then McKee has the power of the incumbency right now. So he can be on television just about every single day because of the events, what's going on and the media following him. Plus he's in that beautiful position that he has money coming out of his pockets all over the place. So I was at the RIPAC forum and every time there was a topic coming up, he could say, well, I'm, in my budget, I put this much forward for housing and then something else and something else. So he can be throwing money around. But I think for him... He has to be very concerned because that poll showed how close he was with Nellie so he should be higher than her right now going forward. Uh, And then I think right now we have to remember that the Republican running for um, governor will be on the ballot in in November. No no matter what, she'll be on the ballot. So of all those five running for the Democrat, who's going to be the last person standing? And how beat up is that McKee? If the challengers are trying to knock him off, if he limps to the, you know, September primary, how strong will he be going forward?
0: Briefly, Ashley Kalis made, she had a lot of ads on. She scaled back a little bit, understandably so. How do you feel her first month or two has gone?
3: I thought it went very well because I think people are starting to talk about her. They're hearing her name. They're, you know, they're associating, oh, she's a fighter. So, you know, she's getting that out there. I think that's where Helena Folks made a mistake that she should have been out as early as Ashley was getting out there because we're bumping up against Fourth of July and then for July and August, forget it, trying to get in front of voters.
0: Ashley Kalis?
2: Yeah, I think uh, I've spoken to to Ashley. Uh, She's bright. She's motivated and driven um i think that she's capable of bringing a really good campaign uh to the general election uh you know i haven't seen uh any of the debates at this point and i haven't seen how the different candidates interact with each other but i, I look forward to it i think it's going to be a very interesting campaign season
4: okay let's do uh, outrageous and or kudos bill let's start with you sure well when we talk about mental health right now obviously in the context of the guns Um, You know, I think generally speaking, people say, well, we've got to save the disenfranchised kid that's, you know, been bullied or picked on and is going to create problems one way or another down the line. I think we need to start thinking about that for all of us. What we're seeing right now is so disturbing. And I don't know how anybody I know it personally has impacted me greatly over the last week with what happened in, in Uvalde. Um, and just in general, where we're at right now as a society, it's so easy to feel dismayed and to check in on that. I mean, I personally have been really struggling this week dealing with what happened. I used some really charged language that was over the top describing a parent's group here. Um, it's a hard moment, and it's okay to recognize that and to be angry with the world and reflect on that and, and try to take care of yourself, whatever that whatever that means for you. I think it's important to not group mental health into somebody who is the shooter, but all of us, because mm-hmm. this is nuts. This, this this is a crazy moment that we need to get beyond, and that includes taking care of ourselves. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, Thank you.
3: Uh, so a couple years ago, I was on Lively, and my mm-hmm. outreach at the time was the Providence Journal announcing um, that they were not going to be publishing any more of their own editorials or doing political endorsements and i thought what an abdication of power by the providence journal to do that then a couple of weeks ago i think twitter was a little bit alive with the journal announcing that it wasn't going to be a hard copy edition on memorial day but then there was a quick tweet that said no there would be one so for the longest right. daily published a
0: production you know error. to
3: do that then now this week the editor has said that they're doing um, opinions only on saturdays and sundays in their editions and they're only going to use local columnists. So I've always enjoyed the national columnists that they have. I think it's probably more of a monetary decision, not paying that service to have the George Wills you know, columns to do that. But I'm thinking this is almost so sad to see this p- newspaper that was such a strong voice in Rhode Island be so diminished. Hmm.
0: But Ken, what, you've had uh, all this time. I went to you last because I stole your outrage on the uh, pension program. Yeah. Do you have something else? So
2: I am gonna, I'm going to focus my outrage on the pensions, but I'm going to move away from the bond a little bit. So the reason Providence <laughs> finds themselves in the position that they're in right now is because mayors have given away the store. They gave 3% compounding colas, which is an astonishingly rich benefit to give to any retiree. Uh, but then Providence went so far as to give 6% compounding colas, 6% to some, to some workers. And this was the work of Buddy Cianci. Uh, Cianci has since uh, died And he's not dealing with this mess anymore, but the mess that he has left is a $1.2 billion deficit in terms of what Providence is supposed to have to be able to pay for their pensions and what they actually do. That's what's driving all of this mess. And so it matters what local elected officials decide to give away. And even though There may not be a today price for for giving away the store. There is always a tomorrow price, and we're paying that tomorrow price. And shame on the General Assembly for not insisting that Providence insist on getting pension concessions from its labor unions in exchange for this half a billion dollars. This was the golden opportunity to reset how Providence handles some of its retiree benefits, and it was absolutely squandered and allowed to happen by the General Assembly. Okay.
0: Thank you. All three of you, good stuff. I appreciate it. It's a quick half hour. Folks, thank you. Bill and Ken, nice to see you again. And Lisa, good to see you. Folks, uh, it is a busy time up at the General Assembly. We will have it all covered with full analysis. We hope you have a great week and come back here next week as The Lively Experiment continues.